You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Men in Black International. Always remember, the universe has a way of leading you to where you're supposed to be at the moment you're supposed to be there. Let's do this. It took me 20 years to find you. How many people can say that? You are the best kept secret in the universe. And I found you. Which makes me perfect for this job. You really think a black suit is going to solve all your problems? Mm, no, but looks damn good on you. Oh snap! Oh snap! Oh snap! Oh snap! Oh snap! We are a rumor. Recognizable only as deja vu and dismissed just as quickly. Time to prove yourself, Agent M. We may have a problem in London. Welcome to MIB. You will be with Agent H, one of the best ever to wear this suit. Catching up on my daily meditation. Time for lunch, I think. Are you hungry? It's 9.30. Perfect. Tuesday's taco day. We've been compromised. It puts every citizen of this planet at risk. listening to the trailer for Men in Black International, and the story is as follows. Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson star as Agent H and Agent M, who employ high-tech weaponry to battle mischievous aliens on Earth. However, the pair also discover a major threat within their own ranks. The film is starring Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson, Rebecca Ferguson, Camille Nanjiani, Rafe Spall, Laurent Bourgeois, Larry Bourgeois, Emma Thompson, and... Liam Neeson is directed by F. Gary Gray, and it is written by Art Markham and Matt Holloway. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Katie Schaefer. Hello, hello. All right. So, Katie, Men in Black International, the reteaming of Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson paired so successfully in Thor Ragnarok a few years ago. My ultimate question for you coming right out of the gate here is what has been your history with the Men in Black franchise? I've seen all of them, but that last one with Will Smith, I think, which is, I think, Men in Black 3. And I saw the first one in theaters when it came out, and I was, oh, God, I don't even know when it came out. I was, like, between 10 and 13 or so. And I remember just loving it. I was big into sci-fi as a kid, still am. And so for me, it was so fun. And Will Smith, of course. I mean, he was the coolest then. Still pretty cool now. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know how cool he is exactly. I mean, you know, Gemini Man will be another example of that p- potentially, but <laughs> his acting choices maybe not the best, but the, the dude himself seems pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I liked him in Aladdin most recently playing the genie. I was surprised by that. So, I've seen all of the Men in Black films. I actually thought that the third one was an improvement on the second one, mostly because Josh Brolin's impersonation of Tommy Lee Jones was so much fun. And the film really knew how to lean into that. What makes the first film really fantastic, though, to me, looking back on it, obviously the chemistry between Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones is phenomenal. You have this stern, craggedy old man paired up with this young, hip, smooth-talking, kind of reckless agent. And it was just, it was really surprising how well they pulled it off. Also, I really love looking back on the practical effects and the makeup that they used uh, in Men in Black, which also, if I remember correctly, won the Oscar for uh, Best Makeup as well. So it's really, really interesting now seeing the evolution of this series from 1997 to 2002 with Men in Black 2, Men in Black 3 in 2012, and then Men in Black International in 2019. And it's so interesting how these sequels are so spaced apart that you can't help but feel like they just keep on wanting to try to come back to the well for a cash grab. And in so many ways, that's what this movie feels like to me. Uh, It feels very much like it is a cash grab, uh, trying to pair together two of the world's hottest stars right now and luring the Marvel fan base that loved them so much in Thor Ragnarok over to this property and it's not necessarily a sequel i don't think i i feel it is just really a soft reboot of the uh, men in black series because there is no agent k or um agent um oh my god i can't remember what uh will will smith's uh, agent name was oh my god agent j Agent J. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh. You know, there's no reference to them in this. There's no cameos or anything. This is really just like a standalone movie that takes place internationally. And that's what they're highlighting here. It's Men in Black International. We're going overseas. Right. And F. Gary Gray, the director of this movie, is someone whose work I actually quite enjoy. Uh, Straight Out of Compton, I think, is phenomenal. And then The Fate of the Furious, I thought was a really fun action film, even though it may not be the best in the franchise. I still thought that he did a really terrific job with some of those set pieces. So explain to me, Katie, why Men in Black International with these hot stars and this director who can inject a property with some idea of excitement. Why is this movie so lifeless? So you thought it was lifeless? 100%. I didn't feel that way. I went into it and I expected it like men in black. It's it's kind of the same, the same concept over and over again, because there's really like with James Bond, there's kind of one or two or three different types of stories you can tell with this, with this idea. And so I was like, well, let's just see, you know, I took my kid with me because I, like I said, I was right around his age when I saw the first one. And I remember it being so fun and positive and he had a blast and he and I, Still talk about, um, oh, your little legs. Look at your little legs. (laughs) (laughs) About Pawnee. And I think it was, it is not the first one. It's definitely kind of like a retooling of that 
of some of the aspects of the first one, I think. Um, but for me, I thought it was a fun, enjoyable, like, romp. And I love watching Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth play off each other and having, um, oh gosh, I can't remember her name now. That's going to kill me. Rebecca Ferguson? Uh, Emma no, Thompson? Agent, yes, thank you. I knew it was Emma. I just couldn't get that last name. But yeah, Emma Thompson is so fun in this, even though you see her for approximately two minutes. Yeah, two um, scenes. But her her presence kind of looms over things in regards to how I kept wondering, like, what's she going to do when she gets this? Cause she's definitely coming into this at some point. Cause I thought it was an interesting watch. It's not amazing. It's probably not the best met in black movie, but I found it like a good family sci-fi film. It's not something, something I can watch with my kids. I'll give you this. Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson have undeniable chemistry together. I don't think it is as strong here as it was in Thor Ragnarok. And a large reason for that is because I definitely feel that F. Gary Gray didn't know how to direct Chris Hemsworth here for some reason. Because it feels so much like Hemsworth is doing his own thing at times in terms of how loose he's playing this character. And the amount of improvisation that he is probably doing in so many takes and scenes. And and it just doesn't feel like it's under control from a director who is trying to utilize what Hemsworth is doing with his performance to craft um, these scenes together. You know what I mean? It just just felt like it was too all over the place at times. It does. It does. And I think, you know, that first – it's hard not to compare this to – their relationship in this to their relationship in Ragnarok and you know F. Gary Gray is a decent director but he is not Taika Waititi and Taika Waititi has a masterful hand when it comes to comedic timing how to direct his actors to find comedy and building roles and script writing and all of that and I think you're spot on in that Chris Hemsworth kind of had loosey goosey was how we went with this Yeah, (laughs) It it felt like there wasn't enough uh in the script, like the script, which I admit was not not very good, um, they it, it felt like they were straining to get to these roles that they wanted to play, but they never quite reach it. Like Tessa Thompson is just a little too reserved, and Chris Hemsworth is way too out there sometimes. And his I, I know his character development is supposed to be like, you know, he's had this horrible incident and now he's self-destructing and all of that. But it never feels concrete. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, how he's the most reckless agent that there is. But yet he keeps getting promoted and he keeps getting uh, a slap on the wrist, you know, in this work environment over at MIB. Uh, I, 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 right. I did like that Tessa Thompson's character was portrayed to be a conspiracy nut who was obsessed yes. with discovering aliens and the Men in Black organization. I really got a kick out of that. I thought that was a really solid foundation for her character. But the thing that really confused me is that we don't even really get like a training montage. It's like all of a sudden they slap the suit on her and she knows how to handle the weaponry. She knows how to do everything. And I found that entirely not believable. Yes, that it all kind of takes place a little too quickly. Right. Like she's just kind of it's a lot of hand waving. That's kind of what that's what I call it when scripts do that, where they just kind of go, yeah, just accept that this is all fine and let's move along, Mm -hmm. which in some stories I am fine with that, especially in kids movies. And this kind of felt like they leaned a little 
they leaned a lot into that to kind of like, yeah, you guys know, let's get to the point. And that's like, well, yeah, we know, but you missed a few steps here. Yeah. And therefore my reactions to it are not going to be what you want them to be because you didn't put in the work. And that really limits how well the movie can do because they chose not to do the work in favor of, I don't know, bigger action scenes, more action scenes. Well, that's the thing too. This movie lacks original set pieces. The action scenes in this movie felt so small and so manufactured. Uh, There was like no spark of originality to me in any scene that was supposed to have any level of excitement. Yeah, I think the, the one I enjoyed the most was the bike chase. I thought that was sure, fun. you know, lots of different paths and whatever. Uh, and I thought the little twist that happens at the end of that with the bottle of water, I was like, oh, OK, that's a little clever. Um, but like the big end set piece where they're fighting, you know, the big monster like that just was. It was an interesting take on it, but it was not exhilarating like you expect at the end of it. All I could think of was the first film and how great they did Vincent D'Onofrio as the bug. And I was like comparing it in my mind and I'm saying to myself, why is a film from 1997 holding up so much better than a film in 2019? Like I said, with these two very likable stars. And I I actually think that there are times because of Hemsworth's uh, go for broke, crazy Jack Sparrow like performance that the chemistry between them is off. And the reason why I think it's off sometimes, not all the time, sometimes it does work, but the humor, the humor in this movie outside of Emma Thompson and Kumail Nanjiani, I felt that the jokes in this movie never properly landed well enough. They're a bit simplistic. Yeah. That's kind of, which again, the first Men in Black is pretty simplistic in its comedy and that's okay but you kind of expect the fourth iteration in the franchise to move up a little bit and again it's fun for kids and it was fun like my kid was laughing his butt off but you know i get where you're coming from i was like okay you guys you could have brought it up a couple of notches here except and this must be said kumail nanjiani yes he was for me stole the movie the star of this movie mm-hmm. just I was like, just let's make a whole movie just about this guy. This guy's great. I love, 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 love the simplicity of that character. He is a tiny CGI character who is wholly dedicated to his queen. And in this case, his queen is Tessa Thompson, which, let's be honest, she's a queen to us all. So (laughs) it's a very relatable role in that regard. And when he's on the screen, the three of their chemistry comes together. Like it kind of works much better when he's there and they're all playing off of each other. Those are when the comedy really hits for me. But when he's not there and they're trying to be comedic, it all feels a little flat. Uh, Speaking of falling flat, what was Rebecca Ferguson doing here? I don't know. I don't know what they did to that poor woman. I don't. I don't know who said it on film Twitter. I can't. I, I don't remember who it was, but somebody pointed out uh, they hid Rebecca Ferguson from all of the marketing materials. Like her agent must be so smart. <laughs> you know, she's like it's like yeah. It's like she just wants to distance herself away from the movie. Ultimately, <laughs> she looks like she's having fun at least, and I liked her character. Maybe in that I was. I was like, all right. Let's see this. This lady looks fun and crazy, but they never let her get real crazy. Right. And she has almost no role. She's, you know, her plan doesn't even go in 
complete step one. Like she gets, you know, magical box, whatever. And then she has it about 30 seconds and then it's done. Yeah. And it's like, okay, this, why did we even put this in here? The buildup to her character too also did not match what the film brought. Uh, And also what she brought to it, in my opinion, I, I didn't think that she was doing anything noteworthy that made me care. And, you know, I don't want to fault her for it, but at the same time, I think you could tell from her her perspective that she didn't really care, you know? So, the, it, I don't know. It just feels like everybody kind of knew what they were a part of in this, and they were kind of just going through the motions. And don't even get me started on Liam Neeson in this uh, movie, because... Oh, Liam. Uh, you know, that's just another thing where it's like, could these screenwriters make it any more freaking obvious? Yeah. Yes, I have a, oh, my husband and I talk about that a lot, that it's like, you know, if Liam Neeson is in the movie and he's not the star, then he's the bad guy. <laughs> no matter what else is going on, if he's not the star, he's the, he's going to be secret bad guy. There's a couple of actors who are that who are that person, and he is like number one. I am so sorry for spoiling Widows and every other movie that Liam Neeson has recently been in that he didn't get top billing for. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys. It's true. It is so true. And I can't remember who the other guy is that we see that in all the time. But, oh, my God. It was just like. Mm. You know, and there, there's all this misdirection with Rafe Spall's character in this movie who yeah. is portrayed to be the pain in the ass agent who we're not supposed to like. And I, I just he's an actor that I honestly like I've never kind of gravitated towards his work, unfortunately. Um, but. I, I don't know. Like, to me, like, it just, I, 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 not that I felt insulted, but I just sat in a movie theater saying to myself, this is not a thinking person's sci fi movie or anything of that sort. This is meant to be just oh, yeah. an entertaining blockbuster with very, very superficial plot points and unmemorable set pieces that I've seen in countless other movies before. And I tried, I tried, Katie, to surrender myself to have fun with it. Because I thought there were some aspects, like we said, Emma Thompson, Camille Nanjiani, the occasional points of Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson's uh, chemistry working together when Hemsworth wasn't, you know, absolutely insane. But other than that, I mean, I I don't know. Like, I, I couldn't help but just walk out of the movie and saying to myself, that was totally unremarkable. Oh, oh, and one other thing, too. Because this just happened recently with Dark Phoenix, and I just, it's really annoying me. For the love of God, screenwriters out there, please do not pander to the female audience out there by telling them in the screenplay that you are being progressive. Show them, for the love of God. It's like, it's it's annoying the crap out of me so much they have to write these lines. Uh, oh, you know, you should call it ex-women. Or uh, men in black. Why, why, why not people in black or whatever? And it's like, don't, don't even start as they, you know, as Emma Thompson says in this movie. I've brought it up. It's not worth it. And it's like, you don't have to spell it out for us. We, we, we get it. Like, show us through action and don't insult our intelligence. I was on the fence about that. I felt like when it's coming from the women, when like the the scene between Emma Thompson and but it's not though it's coming from a male screenwriting duo. Oh yes, but when they when it's in the mouths of women and they're talking about it, then it's a little more acceptable and it feels slightly less pandery. And I enjoyed Emma Thompson just being like, 
uh, it's just not even worth it because it's like that is to a certain extent. It's like I can recognize that sometimes it's just not fucking worth fighting. Um, but I do love it's much better when Tessa Thompson like she does the well, I guess I'm a queen. And as much as all women are queens, like that type of thing is good. But the end moment where and women and women and he turns around and gives the thumbs up. I was like, a mm, little much there, guys. Yeah, it, it just but I mean, I understand what you mean when you say, you know, the actors and how they're selling the lines. But I just can't right. get over the fact that the movies that I've seen this happen in lately uh, with Avengers Endgame, uh, Dark Phoenix, now this, they're male screenwriters. And it, it just seems to me like it's not, it, it, it feels fake. Like it, it doesn't feel like they actually are writing it because they care to write it. They feel obligated to write it. And I can see through that phoniness. Yes. And I, it's always the question of do we, is it better to include it because we need to make the, the point that this is still a sexist society that we're living in and you need to at least make some effort or like if you had left it out, what does that say? Let the action speak louder than words, I say. But this isn't a movie where we're going to see, you know, dramatic change within MIB to become a women-friendly society or, like, feels like they were trying. And, yeah, I agree. They missed the mark. They didn't do it well. But I hope for trying to include something to try to at least bring it up. Because if we don't talk about it, we don't bring it up, then we'll never get there. Mm -hmm. And so I... I feel the frustration, but as someone who has been waiting and waiting and waiting for representation, at least when it's brought out and straight up said, like that conversation between Tessa Thompson and Emma Thompson, at least it's acknowledged. Like women's frustration at this patriarchal society is acknowledged and they're allowed to speak about it. And it's not just like, Oh, yeah, well, of course, it's the men in black. And we're not even going to acknowledge that there are women in the organization. If they hadn't acknowledged it, then it wouldn't have been a 2019 movie. Like, we are at the point where we need to be acknowledging it. No, no, no. I don't mean, like, don't acknowledge it. Don't disregard it. Right. But just do it in a less overt way that I, I like I said, like, I, I just, it, it feels like it's pandering. I get it. I think there are ways that they can still get the message across without it being so in your face. And I, I think there's a lot of women out there that see through that as well. I've seen a lot of articles, actually, oh, yeah. over the last couple of weeks of people uh, calling this out. And I feel the exact same way. It's um, something that I feel is, is more distracting than it is helping. And I think it's only fervoring the issue that, uh, like, like, like I said, that we can just see through the bullshit almost. Um, but then again... Hey, you know what? If it's working for some people out there, I'm not going to take that away from anyone. I think it's also about making strides, taking steps forward. And even if they're doing it badly, at least they're doing something. At least they're not just leaving it sit there. So Yeah, that's fair. They at least care that much. And so I I totally agree. It's not well done. It feels pandery. But I can appreciate that they wanted to at least include something. And it's two male screenwriters at least trying a little bit. It was like, well, at least it's not just us doing it. At least it's not just women screenwriters who have to take carry the whole burden of making the world a more equal place. Sure. So, but yeah, I get it. It's not going to work for everyone. Yeah. And that's fine. I have a couple of other notes written down here. Um, the twins. Oh. Uh, did you get 
Matrix Reloaded vibes from these two? A little bit, but I really enjoy them. Yeah. They are, uh, they've been in several really great uh, music videos that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I love dance. And so I, I know them from the dancing aspect of it. So for me, I just enjoyed that part of it. But there is a little bit of that twin thing, I assume is what you're yeah. referring uh-huh. to, the hunting twins. But I did like that twist with what's happening with them. They're so menacing. And then when you find out why they're doing what they're doing, it's like, oh, okay. So what does that mean for my perspective on them? Because we saw them as villains, but really they're just trying to, you know, succeed in doing this other thing that I'm trying not to spoil everything. Sorry if that was a bit clunky, but I enjoy those actors and I thought they're very good at physical their physical acting. Yeah, I'll agree with that. The uh, the utilization of them for the dancing and uh, their physical acting, as you say, <clears throat> their physical acting, as you say, was really well done. I also have something to say, though, in regards to the fact that there really isn't a antagonist that we can really mm-hmm. latch on to throughout this movie. And, when, I, you know, it's like I, I don't want to keep doing this over and over, but like Vincent D'Onofrio's antagonist in the first film, like to me, that's one of the most underrated performances I think I've ever seen before, just in terms of physical acting. Oh, I love him <laughs> for that. It's incredible what he does. Yep. And so I just found myself totally disengaged with these CGI creatures. I, I, I always like kind of found that the original's use of practical makeup was so much more imaginative, exciting. It felt more real. And for a movie where mm-hmm. aliens are supposed to be existing within the real world, giving me a CGI creature that looks like he belongs in the Star Wars prequels is not going to help me to believe <laughs> what you're what you're trying to feed to me here, you know? <laughs> right. And it, I felt the same way. So much of the CGI in this is real up and down. And it's amazing because that original movie, like their CGI and effects and everything, mostly because of the fact that so much of it was practical, holds up so well. Right. You can still watch that movie and it's still great. Yep. Even the CGI parts of it because they knew what they were doing. They knew how to use it. And this, it felt a little lazy. It feels like, except I will say in when the twins are doing that, other world thing where they become like the clouds. I thought that looked really good, but a lot of other stuff, it just kind of felt rushed and like, Oh yeah, we'll just touch it up with CGI and post. Don't worry about it. It's yeah. fine. And it was, that's never a good tack to take film writer or directors. It's never good to say, we'll just clean it up with CGI and post because it never looks good. No, it's always sloppy. No, absolutely. It always looks sloppy. Like to your, to your point, I totally agree with you there. Uh, the other point that I also have written down here as well, it's always nice to hear Danny Elfman's music. I'll, I'll uh, you know, sing mm-hmm. that praise at least. He uh, co-wrote the score this time around with Chris Bacon. Uh, but Danny Elfman's music is something that, you know, if you're a fan of his style, you're going to usually like what he puts out. And yeah, I was always a, I'm always a fan of Elfman's uh, music. So it's always nice to hear that back. Yes, I agree. All right. Final thoughts. Great out of 10. Oscar potential. Katie, do you have any final thoughts on Men in Black International? Mm, good for kids. 
<laughs> good for kids. Mm. And you could show it to children of most ages and they'll probably dig it. It'll be a fun fantasy or fun sci-fi adventure. And Kumail Nanjiani needs to get all the work. All the work. Why isn't he working in everything these days? He's so good. <laughs> <sighs> there are, um, man, there are a few redeemable qualities to this movie that elevate it above complete and total trash, but sometimes I feel yeah. that a bigger crime than being considered trash is being boring and predictable. Oh, yeah. And that's how this movie felt to me so much at times. There wasn't, as I said, an antagonist throughout the movie that had characterization that was fun that you could latch on to. The chemistry between Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth was hit or miss at times. Uh, there are some enjoyable aspects. There's like even a Thor reference in the movie that I, I that got my that got the biggest laugh out of me. I think in the entire film, mm-hmm. um, that was pretty good. But Emma Thompson, Camille Nagiani, definitely the scene stealers. Outside of those things, I mean, visual effects not the greatest. Uh, like the set pieces are not. They, they feel like it feels like there was no thought put into them at all. And there's just a like a whole list of issues with this movie that I, as I'm just sitting here even trying to rattle them all off, I'm just so disheartened by it because I genuinely felt that this movie had such a good shot on paper of revitalizing the franchise, bringing it back. But maybe it kind of proves something that we maybe already knew many, many years ago and Hollywood just doesn't seem to understand, which is that first film, the reason why it works so well is because it's surprising. Yes. It's because a lot of the things that happen in that movie and we see through Will Smith's eyes are things that he's never seen before and there are things that we've never seen before, like the use of the neuralizer. And what the heck is that? And how does it work? And there's like this intrigue that goes into all of it. Now, I know so much about the mysteries of the men in black and how they operate that if you don't have intriguing characters and a good story to tell within this world, then what the hell are you doing? Yep. That's it exactly. It feels and that they should learn that about a lot of franchises, too. Yeah. And it's like this kind of the other thing about the original movie is it is a creation of its time. Tommy Lee Jones was huge. Will Smith was, like I said, the coolest man alive at that point. Mm -hmm. Like the music was great. Vincent D'Onofrio's career really kicked off from that. And he was and he's a phenomenal actor and everything. But he gives us something amazing in that movie. And I think it is a. The original Men in Black is such a product of its time and it was so lovingly made and so much effort was put into it. It's like this is kind of a once one time deal. Yep. You know, this isn't Star Wars where there's so much potential and we can branch out in all these different directions and tell all these different kinds of stories. It's like there's one kind of story we can tell with this. Mm -hmm. And unless we're going to like a monster of the week show type thing. That's what you're going to get. And that, like you said, if you're not going to be surprised, then so much of what the first one has is lost. And I was really surprised when I went back and I looked at the original film. It has a 92% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, nominated for three Oscars for score, art direction, and makeup. Like I said before, winning the Oscar for makeup. It got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Comedy Musical. Like, this isn't just some dumb summer (laughs) film that... 
uh, no. people happen to like. This was a actually well-respected film that people happen to like, <laughs> you know? So right. that's what you're being compared to here. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's hard. You, you better be up to snuff, you know? Like I said, I still had fun and it was still enjoyable. I'm glad you had fun. And, you know, I will say this. My kid has never seen any of the other Men in Black movies. Oh, okay. And I think he and because it's just never come up. And I think he really liked it for the reasons you're talking about, as he doesn't know any of that stuff. So for him, this was all first reveals. And so he had a lot of fun with figuring out what was going on. Yeah. So and that makes it. That makes it better, even if it's not a good example of a Men in Black. You should totally show him the the original. Actually, oh, yeah. I think he would get a kick out of it. Oh yes, that's a that's on our plan. He's he's very excited to see the original. That's there are millions of movies I want to watch with him. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's this one, and then there's this one. So all right, uh, I give the movie a soft four out of ten. I think I'm being very generous when I give it that rating because <laughs> I actually a part of me does feel in many ways that it is maybe one of the worst movies I've seen this year because it like I said commits a bigger sin of being predictable and boring than just being absolute garbage but there are some redeemable qualities I will I will be as generous as I possibly can be here and I'll give it a four I will give it Originally, I was going to give it a 5 out of 10, but Kumail just gets his own point. So it's a 6 out of 10. Okay. <laughs> and it can count so much of that for Nanjiani's performance and presence in this film. Yep. All righty. Men in Black International, we'll put that one in the books. We'll forget about it by next week. <laughs> yep. Yes, we will. Katie, thank you so much, as always. And where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Schaefer. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Men in Black International here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, write us a comment, leave us five stars. It helps for people to discover our show. If you like the show, please, 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 please head on over to Apple Podcasts and do that for us. Also, if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon. Contribute $1 minimum a month. You get some exclusive podcast content from us, including our 2015 retrospective series, uh, Talk About the Emmys, Big Little Lies. We're going to have Stranger Things also coming up in July. We're really, really excited about all the content that we're offering over at Patreon for our subscribers. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, 
I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.